0: some of you may actually realize we've worked our way through this book about six months ago we started love and law by ernest holmes and kind of wednesday by wednesday i've been working my way through and i won't say that i necessarily saved the best for last but i saved something really interesting for last i want to share this quote with you to get us started today this is from ernest holmes love and law the last chapter he says unity is the basis of all that there is there is but one God, but one mind, but one spirit, and but one power. And when I embody myself in these thoughts selfishly, I am preparing myself from that which I think would be my good. I am separating myself firmly from it. Now, you may think that this is a subtle thing. and could not be the, re- the reason for so much trouble in the world. But it is the foundation Of most of our trouble when I am unconsciously separating myself from God. Now, why would we do that? Does that even make sense? I had to read that about nine times. If you're like me, every now and then, Ernest Holmes seems a little more opaque than what I would like. Um, (laughs) But I'm reading through it and I'm like, how does self, first of all, how does selfishness even fit into it? And why would anyone on this planet? whether consciously or unconsciously, separate ourselves from the creation of all things, from, from, from good itself, right? And in, in, in our philosophy, we really think of our good as our God. Why would we separate ourselves from that? Well, I, I did some more reading, and I think I have a little bit of it figured out, so I'm going to share that with you tonight. First of all, I think his thesis is that when we resist what is... We're resisting our own creation. So if you'll remember, um, last month, we talked about um, the law of attraction. And what we said was we're attracting to us all the time. It isn't something that we just put on. It isn't something that, well, today I'm going to attract the good and and I'll rest tomorrow, right? Through Through our thinking, through the power of our thoughts, through what we manufacture in our own head, we're always attracting stuff in. Sometimes it's the stuff we want and the stuff we love and the stuff we're looking forward to, and sometimes not so much. But if you think of this as a truism, It means that this moment right now, we've attracted ourselves to this, right? You've attracted me, and I've attracted you, and somehow we've managed to attract even what I'm going to talk about, even though you haven't heard it yet. It's all part of the creation that we're fabricating as we go along. And what Ernest Holmes is saying is that when we resist the present moment, it's like we're saying that I resist this power of the law of attraction. And he equates that to selfishness. He equates it to the idea that what's good for everybody else isn't going to be good for me. I'm going to avoid all that. I'm going to somehow magically only attract good to me, regardless of what my thinking is. And he calls that selfishness. He says that we must, to some degree, accept things as they come our way. Sometimes it's the great stuff. Sometimes it's the stuff that we're looking forward to. Sometimes it's the stuff that on purpose we've even kind of planned. We've planted those seeds in our mind of of love or a new job or a new way of being. And the fruition of it is something that we're looking forward to. It's like, yeah, that was nice. And other times, though... He says, something rotten comes our way, something stinky, something we weren't looking forward to, something unwelcome, something downright unwelcome. And oh, then we put the brakes on. Then it's like, oh no, I didn't do that. That's not what I want. He says, this is that separation from God. Because that thing, even in its ugliness, even in its unpleasantness, even in its... uh, anti-Larry-ness right even though it sings the like the opposite of what Larry wants it's my creation too and to deny it to put it at arm's length is to die that the law of attraction works and I am separating myself from God well when I separate myself from God this is not a good thing Then suddenly, everything in my life takes a little bit of a left turn, I think. Then suddenly, I begin second-guessing pretty much everything that's going on. Then I start having my doubts about life as it unfolds. I begin having my doubts about God. So do we accept life as it is? Do we have to? Now, doesn't science of mind teach us that we can have what we want? All right, I think it's time for the joke. You were waiting for it. Anyway, so. When Adam stayed out very late one night, Eve became upset. You're running around with other women, she charged. Now you're being unreasonable, Adam responded. Just accept me the way I am. I need to express myself more fully. I need a little space. I need a little alone time to, to figure out what's true for me. Besides, he said... You're the only woman on earth. Well, now the quarrel continued for some time. And one night after Adam fell asleep, he was suddenly awakened by someone poking him in the chest. What do you think you're doing, he demanded. Counting your ribs, said Eve. (laughs) Can we really accept people as they are? Have you ever been in one of those relationships where it seemed like one of you starts going a little bit one way and one of you starts going the other way and, and, and somehow the expectations that you thought were well-grounded between you seem haywire? Yeah, oh, I, okay. Some, some of you were actually kind of nervous in your seats. All right, good. Good, we're, we're on a good topic then. See, I think the trouble with expectations in general is that they will tend sooner or later to make us unhappy when we have expectations of what marriage is going to be like when we have expectations of what a job will be like or um, really anything in fact the buddhists say that expectations cause suffering and i want to talk for a moment about that let us imagine that your birthday is coming up and if you're like me birthdays are kind of a mixed bag aren't they Yeah, it's like some birthdays have been so sweet. Some birthdays, you know, people who love me have taken me out to dinner. And we've had kind of a quiet and lovely time. Well, I remember on my 50th birthday, my mom threw, quite successfully, I might add, a surprise party for me that totally blew my socks off. But I have to admit, there were also a couple birthday parties where I was kind of blue. kind of made me sad a little bit. So let's, for a moment... Think about expectations that we might have for our next birthday. Do we want to plan it ourselves? Do we want to be surprised? Do we think that our loved ones are going to do something extra special or extra sweet? Do you see where expectations can lead us? Let us say that because I've had a couple really nice experiences with birthdays, my expectation is, yeah, I don't have to do a thing. Someone will throw me a party, right? Right? Maybe Barb. (laughs) She's like, oh great, put me on the spot. But right, it seems likely that I have a lot of friends, a lot of people kind of like me, some more than others, but I could kind of expect a birthday party. Okay, so the day comes, what if I don't have a birthday party? Yeah, I'm kind of disappointed. What if I do have a birthday party? It's kinda not all that special, is it? I expected it. Do you see, kinda no matter which path we end up taking, expectations are apt to not be good for us. What if I had no expectations and no one threw me a party? What if I had no expectations and I did get the party? Wow, that's sweet. Now, I know this sounds like one of those tree charts, doesn't it? It it sounds like I'm doing an engineering diagram. If expectation is yes, but the party is no, then we're in trouble. But the interesting thing about this is, no matter how I work it out, having the expectation in a certain form, in a certain way, never brings me more happiness. Now, it might be that my expectation is met, and that's okay, that's nice but it never brings me as much happiness as not expecting something good and having it come my way. Have you thought about this before? And if expectations around events and the way life treat you and things like that are a little dicey, what about expectations of other people? Have you ever had, well, actually I should ask the question the other way. Has anyone here never been disappointed by someone in their life? (laughs) Yeah, I I, I defy anyone to raise their hand over that one, right? We always have the idea that someone should behave a little better or do something a little differently. We always have expectations around our our children and their grades. We have expectations around how our our spouses and our friends and our our boyfriends and our girlfriends ought to behave or treat us in a certain way or, or do all of those things. And I would put to you that by definition, those expectations expectations all spell major trouble. And the reason for it is, we're messing all up in someone else's business. (laughs) I have no business in expecting someone to treat me a certain way. Now, I may have some good boundaries, right? If someone's in my face and yelling at me, I can say, you know, this is the way that you treat me. But that's a little different than expecting someone to treat me the way I wish to be treated, right? When we expect someone else to behave a certain way, we're saying, I can run your life better than you can. And can you imagine anyone that will respond well to that? See, there's the issue. So often we think we're trying to help, we think that we've walked down that path before, and I know just the answer for this issue, right? In fact, uh, well, I'll tell you a story. In fact, Barb signed me up for another six months here on Wednesdays, and so, uh, <laughs> and, and so I figure, hey, I can do whatever I want now. <laughs> so let me tell you a couple practical stories. The first one involves uh, my husband. So. When we first met, oh, my gosh, we were in love, and it was so sweet. And then we started dating a little more, and and, and it was so lovely. And and I realized after a couple of months, you know, I've never been to his house yet. (laughs) Some of you already know where this is going, right? It's like we've been to my house two or three times. And, of course, we've been out at restaurants and been out to a dance and, and had a lovely time. And so I said, well, why don't we have dinner at your house? little quiet there. <laughs> well, a couple of weeks later, he invited me over and I found out that he had spent probably about three days cleaning his house. And boy, I couldn't tell. And I thought to myself, okay, now this is interesting. Of course, I was a I was a minister at that time. I had done Byron Katie even, right? (laughs) But I'm thinking to myself, all right, am I actually prepared to go through with a relationship with someone that leaves their clothes all over the bathroom floor and and has the sink piled up with dishes? and, And like, is this for me, honestly? And I had to think about it kind of in those terms because what I realized was I really, in all honesty, could not ask him to be someone different for me. If I did that, I was saying that I wasn't in love with him. I was in love with some fantasy him that did the dishes. (laughs) And how long is that going to last? Have you ever tried to make someone be different? Have you tried to make kids clean their rooms? Have you tried to make your parents manage their finances better? Have you tried? I mean, the list could just go on and on. How successful are we at getting people who are in their own authenticity the way they are, how successful are we getting them to change? I think it's zero they may, quote, behave for a little while, right? If you dangle enough carrots or withhold their allowance if they're children, or I don't know, for adults it's even harder, right? they have to just walk away if you get too abusive or or too exacting. The truth is we don't have the right to tell anyone that they should be different And when I have expectations that they will be different, or could be different, or might be different, or I hope that they're different, I'm setting myself up for pure misery. So how do we handle that? Well, ultimately, of course, we have some choices, but the first place to start is remembering why we care for those people in the beginning, right? I would hope that the majority of the people that are in our lives, our friends and our loved ones and our partners and our families, I would hope there's a good heaping of love there and 99% of who they are and what they do and how they behave, I would hope that that's right here in our hearts and call them to us. If not, we should really look at that. Maybe they're not our friends. Maybe we can make some choices here. But if we focus on the annoying pieces of people we're ignoring the person we're picking up one or two things that are false and i would suggest that even saying that they're false is only an opinion to me does daniel think he's messy he thinks all of his stuff is within easy reach (laughs) i'm not kidding you The messiness is in my mind. (laughs) All right, I think you've got the idea of that. So we honor our own preferences by taking care of ourselves. We don't start calling people names. We don't say that someone else's preferences for their life are, are not meeting our expectations because our expectations are just an opinion. Instead, if there's something that needs to be taken care of for my own comfort, if I want a clean house, I can clean the house. If I want to make up some kind of an agreement on certain rooms of the house being tidy or or things like that, again, I have the opportunity of doing a little negotiation. But when it comes right down to it, people are the way people are And I choose to love them for it, not in spite of it, but even for it. Because when I am resisting the way people show up, I am resisting God. That's that subtle thing that Ernest Holmes was talking about. In my own selfish way, I would like the world to be just laid out the way I want it. Clean surfaces. (laughs) Do you know what I mean? Don't we all have preferences around how we would like to have our lives orchestrated, the way we would like our jobs to run? And, 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 of course, I'm taking one tact. I should invite Daniel to do the next talk when I'm here on Wednesday, and he would talk about how nice it is to be able to see everything at once and how freeing it is not to have things hidden away. Honestly. The definition of things that are wrong are solely in the person that is observing that as wrong. All right, I'm going to use one more example, and then we'll wind up for tonight. I think that we truly love life by choosing to love it as it comes. And I think we can make a a conscious choice in it. I think that when good things come our way and when bad things come our way, we can still enjoy the moment. And I want to use another example, and this one's a... Um, from my childhood. And if my mom were still alive, she'd probably be mortified because this is a little bit of a story that involves her. We always had the big family meals for the holidays. And so picture, if you will, um, Larry is about nine years old, and it's Thanksgiving, and my mom's been baking in the kitchen for probably about a week. And as the extended family starts arriving, oh my gosh, that year I remember we had to extend... The table so that it actually went from the dining room halfway through the living room. Because I think we probably had 12, 14, maybe 16 people that year. And it was so lovely. And of course, as a kid, uh, I was a little fixated on the dessert table, I have to admit it. There was a a large buffet, actually kind of this style, if you know what I mean, kind of the nice old wood on wooden legs, and it it sat at the the end of the dining room. And it was just heaped up with the desserts and a big punch bowl, because we were having punch that day. And so anyway, I'm obsessing about the the food, of course. But as a nine-year-old, of course I obsessed a little bit about the food. It was lovely, though. Mom had prepared a lovely meal. uh, You know, everything was decorated really nicely. Uh, We're all sitting around the table. And my one uncle wasn't there, actually a a great uncle. And uh, so we went ahead and did the blessing. And, uh, and, you know, uh, we're enjoying ourselves. We hear the door open kind of loudly... And we hear someone stumbling down the front entrance hall. And there was my great uncle George, quite drunk. And I could see the people's faces that were, before they had been a little bit elated. It was like, oh my god, how are we going to deal with drunken Uncle George at Thanksgiving? And he stumbles in. And he kind of leans against the buffet with all the desserts on it. And being a nice old piece of furniture, not unlike this, I would just say it probably wasn't as sturdy as it could have been. And as he leaned into it and leaned into it, the two legs on the far side buckled, and the whole thing tilted like this. And much to the horror of everyone seated, we were all seated just like, you know, Pilgrim's Progress, you know, <laughs> expecting, like we were watching the movie screen. And it was, was like a movie. One by one, the pies slid down the table and plopped onto the floor. And we're just in horror. We're watching it like a bad movie. And my, my uncle continued to kind of lean on it a little bit. And the punch bowl started walking its way the way heavy circular objects do down to the end. And so, so imagine, if you will, the pies and cakes, it was plop, 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 and then the punch bowl, wham! Well, now i got to tell you, my mom, to her dying day, was asked what her worst memory of life was it was the Thanksgiving from hell. It was the Thanksgiving from hell. And after that she never spoke to my uh, great uncle George again. There was all kind of bad blood in the family over that and it was it was interesting. But you know what? Everyone else kind of enjoyed that year. It's like we lost a few pies. But we got Uncle George seated, and he sobered up with a little coffee, and and the visiting continued, and life went on. And I think the only person that remembers that particular Thanksgiving with anything less than a fair degree of fondness was my mom. This, I think, is our choice. We can accept life. As it comes at us, and we can enjoy it even when it's, oh my gosh, was it a mess. (laughs) I think this is actually a choice that we can make, right? The event was the same for everyone in the room. How we dealt with it individually was a little different. And although all of us might have wished that it had gone with, with a, a, a little bit more aplomb, a little bit sweetness, and there was that e- uneasiness around, well, it, you know, is he going to be crazy drunk or just unpleasantly drunk or, you know, what's going to happen here? The family smoothed that over pretty fast. It was like a couple cups of coffee, and, and George was okay, and we were enjoying ourselves as a family coming together with love and good food and just short a few pies. Ultimately, our resistance of life will create for us memories of despair. Our expectations of how a thanksgiving should be in its perfection, when the perfection falls short, will cause us despair. You know, Bill Gates was uh, surveyed while he was still the uh, CEO of Microsoft, actually maybe about 20 years ago. And he said, what do you owe the... This was when Microsoft really was very successful. And someone asked him what his success of formula was. And he said, oh, it's pretty easy. He said, it's under-promise and over-achieve. It's setting the expectations to be quite reasonable and then allowing the reality to be so very sweet. That's my advice, if you will. That's my spiritual knowledge for tonight. That's basically what I have to offer. And and that then is giving up on that selfishness of wanting things my way. Because I'm going to say, there isn't a my way. There just is God's way. And I'm going to find the sweetness in it. There is good for me, and I shall have it. So you know me. I like to do a little bit of homework, and I'm going to assign you the tiniest bit of homework, and then we'll close with a a final quote from this book. So first of all, your homework. Next time you're upset, I would like you to see what expectations you had that somehow weren't met. Because I would bet, we could make a monetary bet, but I, but I don't know where all of you live to come and collect. But, but I would bet that next time you're upset, it's because some expectation you had went haywire. You had an expectation that someone would do something for you. You had an expectation that something would happen in a certain way. You had an expectation. It wasn't met, and now you're upset. And I simply would like to ask you to take a look at that. Is there a way that you could have minimized the expectation for two reasons. One, to allow yourself to some enjoyment when the expectation is exceeded, when someone really delights you, right? If your expectations are this big, who can jump that high? Oh, this big, who can jump that high? So let's take a look at our expectations, and in particular, the next time something happens uh, that really upsets you. So I'm going to close today with a final quote from this lovely book and, uh, and a course of course, a prayer. Since our, word ca- Since our word is creative, always, it stands to reason that we have got to be very careful in sowing the seed of our word. You cannot resist nature and get an affirmative result. You cannot mix up thoughts which are negative and positive and get a steady stream of affirmative consciousness and results. Your consciousness, your creative power, is limited to the amount of belief that you have and what you can accept. If you believe you're living in an imperfect universe, it will be imperfect to you. God has not erred. God has not made a mistake. There is nothing wrong. That which we call wrong will soon pass away. It will leave that which is right, that which has been there from the start. Let us pray. There is one power, one presence, one life, and one love. It is that unity of all things, and I know that I'm a part of it. I know that God's good is is my good that that which is in my life is is from that one power and that one presence always sometimes it looks wonderful sometimes not so much but i know that i have created it i have worked through and with god to create it and so on this day come the good come the bad come it all i accept it and in my acceptance i pave the way for even greater good for greater love for greater peace for greater joy for greater abundance and as it is true for me i know this same capability exists for each person in this room that as life is accepted on life's terms it opens the opportunity for an acceptance of something even greater more lovely more wonderful more joyous that truly as we drop the resistance as we walk right up to life and see the good in it, in each day, it is more good that follows. I'm grateful for this, and I also am gonna close with part of a prayer that might be even more familiar to you. God, grant me this serenity to accept the things I cannot change the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom always to know the difference. And so it is. Thank you for being here today. So glad you joined us this evening. So glad you were here.